This is Content Content, a monthly podcast featuring the people behind the content. I'm Ed Marsh. This is episode number 15, recorded April 11th, 2017. Today's guest is Jack Molasani, the president of Pro Spring Staffing in the Los Angeles area of California. However, he's probably best known as the executive director of the LavaCon Conference. Jack gave the keynote speech two weekends ago at the STC Philly Metro Chapter Conduit Conference, and it was inspiring and uplifting even at 9 a.m. on a Saturday. Um, I think it's a special skill to be able to be on that early, and frankly, I was not. Um, plus, you know, he, Jack also gave out Hershey Kisses for good questions. So uh, he made it a lot of fun, and it was a really, really good pr- keynote. So um, if you get to see Jack speak, uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, you can find Jack on Twitter at Jack Molasani. Jack, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are things that you're in the internet? Great. It's a wonderful spring day here in northern New Jersey. Uh, I hear you're traveling, so uh, it might be warm where you are, too. It is. Okay. And humid, yes. Mm. That's that's the great East Coast combination there. Okay, Jack. Um, I know that you had a stint in the Air Force. Thank you for your service. Um, so I am uh, curious how you went from a stint in the Air Force to working in technical communication and content strategy. Can you tell us about that? Ooh, that's a good story. Um, (laughs) How much of this do I want to share with my adoring public? Um, I was a project officer in the space division of the Air Force, working on a satellite program, and I did a lot of tech writing as part of my job. How cool. Um, When I got out of the Air Force, I was hired by a company that automated bank trading floors as a sales engineer. Hmm. Got laid off in mid-90s, like half of California did, and I actually traveled the country Hmm. for a year selling Ginsu knives at home (laughs) garden shows. (laughs) And I learned so much from that. That's where I developed a lot of my public speaking skills and learning to project Mm. and overcome resistance to sales. And when I got back to California, still couldn't find work as a sales engineer, but I could find work as a tech writer. Wow. And my degree is in computer engineering, so I got to do the programming documentation for a company and then just kind of stayed in the industry. I found out I liked it, I was good at it, Hmm. and never turned back. That is great. So can you tell us more about what kind of work you did in the tech comp field? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I started out writing API documentation, application program interface. Mm, Which is Um, hot now. It is. It is indeed. And um, at the end of the contract, this particular company wanted to offer me a full-time staff job. Nice. And I teach negotiation workshops, so I try to practice what I preach and justify my numbers. And this particular company had published metrics on to mm. use when estimating documentation projects. I don't remember what the metric is now. But I added up what I did over those six months and realized I was twice as productive huh. as that metric. So I said, great. Offer me twice as much as you pay your other writers. Right. And they went, oh, no, 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 no. We have a line in a spreadsheet. That's how much writers make here. No more, no less. And I realized I would never make what I was worth Hmm. working for a company. And I have never gone back. That's when I started my own company. Okay. And we started out doing just technical writing. And um, come to find out that once we got our foot in the door in filling tech writing jobs, we could also... They said, can you help me hire someone? So we started out doing just tech writing, and then we did staffing tech for tech writers. Okay. And, and that's how I got into the staffing business. Just kind of fell into a, a uh, fate. Huh. That's really interesting. So this none of this was planned opening your own business, becoming a, a, a recruiter. None of that was planned. It just kind of fell in. None of it. Wow. That's crazy. And this has been how long have you been doing that now? Oh, gosh. 20, 20 years? Mm. Uh, well, Doing the staffing for 20 years, and then the conference, this is our 15th anniversary for the conference. Yeah, and Um, we'll get to the conference. I want to talk a lot about that. But before you go on, right? I can say that I just kind of fell into this, but I also learned at an early age to be open to possibilities, look for opportunities that you might not otherwise see. So it's not like I just fell into this. I thought, ooh, here's an opportunity. I could do this. Here's another opportunity. Hmm. So... um. Although I didn't plan it, I was keeping an eye out for, for the universe to give me such things, and it's worked out well so far. Sounds like it, and because you've obviously become one of the uh, 
keynote speakers. You've obviously, you know, you've made yourself uh, very, very publicly out there and you've made a really, seems like a pretty good career uh, in the tech comm field and recruiting. That did not happen by accident. That was planned. Um, uh, I, one of the things I talk about in my public speaking um, uh, and my book, by the way. Um, right. Yeah. Is that uh, I'm a firm believer that you don't just select the path you walk in life. You create the path you walk in life. And if you don't like the path you're on, create a new one. Um, hmm. So one of the reasons I got into headhunting in the first place is that I knew my folks were going to be old someday. And I being the oldest male child was going to be responsible for taking care of them. And I specifically wanted a job I could do anywhere. I have an internet connection. Nice. Okay. Right. And that's one of the things I can do both with the conference and with the staffing. I literally can work at trains, airplanes, anywhere that I have bandwidth. But do you enjoy doing that? I mean, I guess, you know, a bit at a necessity. I mean, I, you know, I like (laughs) not having to travel. So I, you know, for me, uh, you know, I like having, having a home base, but I get it where, you know, it would be awesome to be able to work from a cafe or work from California or wherever you are. How how does that work for you? I love travel. Okay. I, I, I I could be on the road three weeks, home for a couple days, get clean clothes and hit the road again. Um, Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, now, getting back to the, do I enjoy this? <laughs> There's parts of the job I really love. I love the public speaking part. Okay. I love going out there and sharing what I've learned over the years. And um, when people tell me that they've gotten work, uh, a job, after hearing me speak, where they were unemployed before, that's just a, so mind-blowingly <laughs> um, fulfilling. Okay. The stuff I don't like, as a headhunter... Like, if I get a job in and I need, like, a technical writer with a background in consumer electronics in Chicago, I'll go on Dice and Monster and look for resumes. Well, you do a search for that, you get 300 hits. Right, okay. That you just have to mind-numbingly page down Mm. just because they said technical somewhere in the resume that it pops up. Or then you have to reach out to people, are you available? It's just kind of detailed stuff that that... Eh, not so fun. But the other stuff, love doing it. Yeah, I can imagine it's got to be mind-numbing. I mean, I can't, you know, I mean, even with the tools that you have now between LinkedIn and Dice and all these places, it's got to be really difficult to find qualified people. How much of your time do you spend just digging through resumes or digging through LinkedIn and all that stuff? Not, it's not the majority of my time. Okay. Um, uh, uh, how do I say it? I also have people who I can delegate this to. Go here, go find me some resumes. Um, okay. And, but then I like one of the advantages that I have as a recruiter is that I've worked as a tech writer. Mm. I am an engineer, so I right. really okay. understand the jobs I fill, and uh, so I'm much better at doing the business development, finding new clients, finding the jobs to fill, than giving that part to somebody else. Here, go go find resumes for this. So. Yeah, and I'd rather talk with people all day long than stare at a computer all day long. Oh, see, I'm so, yeah, okay. <laughs> you are an introvert, I'm guessing. No, I, you know, I'm kind of more of an extrovert, but I just, you know, I'm I like traveling for recreation. I like being, you know, I like traveling. I don't like the process of traveling. Um, you know, I like talking to people, but you know, I for a lot, you know, I um, I am definitely extroverted. I think, but I think sometimes I just don't like dealing with people, especially. As I get older, but, you know, our job, our field, as you know, you know, we break down a lot of silos. We have to talk to a lot of people and I enjoy it. I do. You know, when I interview people or God doing this podcast, it's been so much fun. Um, I love talking to people, but most of the time, just leave me the hell alone. Let me do my job and I'll reach out to you when I need you. So, um, you know, I guess as I've aged, I guess I've become more introverted. But, you know, I guess maybe that's just me becoming a curmudgeon. That part of my job, when people text me and they send me like 16 texts in a, an hour, I'm going, what? Just, I'm, I'm working, you know? Yeah. Uh, I actually just pull- got a text from my teammate. <laughs> like, are you okay? Like, yeah. So, no. So, yeah. So, there are definitely parts of the job I love. Um, okay. Uh, and especially with the conference, which we'll talk about later, is mm. that I get to um, see 
part of the challenge of doing a conference is that I have to figure out what people are going to need to know that they're willing to pay for okay. a year from now, two years from now, right? So what is the next hot topic? And I'll give you an example. Right now, a lot of the buzz is about the Internet of Things. Yes. And I don't see that being as big a influence in our industry as everybody's okay. running around like chicken little with their head cough going, okay, we have to, you know, yes, if you're doing Ford's looking information on your website that it should be readable by Siri or Katana or whoever it is these days, hmm. um, yes. But really the internet of things are machines talking to each other. Okay. And I don't like your refrigerator ordering milk if you run low. <laughs> yeah, do you I need to document that? that? Yeah, somebody has to. So I don't know. I think it's the next big thing in the industry, but I don't, I just don't see it impacting uh, tech writers from floor to ceiling. I just don't. Um, you know, like I tell people in my, when I speak, don't accept anything someone tells you as gospel truth without evaluating it for yourself. Because what works for me may not work for you. Mm. And what works in my end of the industry may not work at your end of the industry. Okay. So take this viewpoint and look at what you do and going, hey, is Internet of Things going to affect really us? You know, like, for example, uh, Intuit always wins, like, best of show for their documentation at the STC Publications Competition. Okay, right. Really, how is the Internet of Things going to affect QuickBooks? Uh, <laughs> you know? So. Alexa, can you do my taxes? Exactly. Well, probably. <laughs> uh, Sadly. Alexa, well, will you pay my taxes, please? There you go. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, Anyways, let's talk me. about the, the business of technical communication. Um you know, I just read on Forbes yesterday that technical communication is a growing field. I've seen polls all over the place saying that this is a great job opportunity. I'm seeing a lot of people on social media, like on Reddit, saying they're transi- they want to transition from X career into this career. Are you seeing a demand, an increased demand? Are you seeing a market for tech writers? You know, when I do look, I do see opportunities, but they seem to be on the low end of the pay scale and especially living in the Northeast, that's not going to pay my mortgage. So I'm curious from your perspective, what things look like. Okay. I, I, I hate to be Debbie Downer, um, hmm. but I also call things as I see them. Good. That I don't see the growth now that we saw, you know, in the dot-com boom um, since the recession because companies, and this is something we as an industry need to do better at, we're getting there, but we're not there yet, is that many, many companies look at technical writing as a commodity, hmm. something to be acquired for the lowest possible price given an acceptable level of quality. Right. Um, and they don't, many companies don't see tech writers as an integral part of the development team. Yes. So that said, there are, if you take the core competencies that we have as tech writers, uh, communication skills, interview skills, um, uh, information architecture, uh, you name it. Those same skills can be used doing business analyst, hmm. um, uh, user interface design, u- customer experience design. Those parts are viewed and it's, as part of the development team because they're actually at the beginning of the de- product lifecycle, not at the end, right? So, right. And so many of these uh-huh. is just, it's technical writing. That's what business analysts do. They record hmm. customer requirements, but they're not called tech writers. They're called business analysts. So I see us as a profession moving further upstream on the product development life cycle. Okay. That's good. Will we be, will we be called tech writers? I don't know. Well, that's the thing. Is it, is it merely a, a branding thing? I mean, I've actually looked, you know, on different job sites and I've looked for content strategy. I've looked for information architecture because that's really what I like doing. Uh, and I'm looking for tech writers, and it really seems that the the most positions are looking for technical writers. But again, it's not, you know, it's like you said that 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 commodity that commodity price, I guess. And I, you know, I've always called tech writers the Rodney Dangerfield of, of technology because uh, we never get that respect. And I'm, you know, I guess that that sounds like that's continuing. And is it just a we need to rebrand ourselves, or is it something else? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this is not something you and I have talked about before, so I'm going to bring it up here first. Um, uh, one thing that 
I tell people work individually to increase your visibility within your company. That's okay. your okay. responsibility. Mm -hmm. But it'd be nice to have something to crow about, right? Okay. It's not, not hey, look at, I just created this real pretty document with 12-point aerial <laughs> font. Managers don't care about that. Senior right. managers, they, they, you know, how are you increasing our market share? How are you helping to generate revenue, um, support our strategic business goals? So one of the things that I'm doing as through the conference is we are starting the Lavacon Content Impact Awards. Wow, that sounds lofty. Yeah. So <laughs> now, unlike like a publications competition where we're grading you against other pubs say this is excellence. We're just giving awards to people who showed that they made it an, a difference in their organization, quantifiable hmm. difference, either reducing support costs or increasing revenue or launching a new product line. And um, then we're going to send a copy of that award to the entrance boss and to the president of their company to see that you're hmm. an award-winning developed part who's helping you know forward your strategic uh, vision of the company. Huh. If so. That's oh wow yeah okay so that's cool so that's another reason for people to go to LavaCon. Um, so let's talk you know let's continue on the on the tech comp front. Um, you know you wrote you literally wrote the book on be the captain of your career a new approach to career planning and advancement. Um, what should we as tech writers be doing if we're looking for work or do you have tips for job searching other than reaching out to you and seeing if you can hook us up with something? What should we be doing now? couple things, one being keep your skills current, right? If you're still documenting, enter your name in the name field, hmm. those jobs have been offshored and they're not coming back. Okay. So, but companies are needing social media and uh, YouTube videos and all those things that, which is why... Just calling yourself a technical writer isn't enough anymore because mm. we do so much more than writing, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. right, yeah. Uh, so that's one thing. So keep your skills current because uh, second thing is build your network before you need it. Mm. Right, starting going to meetings when you're laid off is a little bit too late. So. <laughs> You should be volunteering at STC meetings and um, going to content strategy meetups, going to user experience meetups. Um, I personally am a fan of STC. Uh, there are other organizations out there if you're uh, uh, developing content. Hmm. Uh, um, and then something you said at the top of the, the podcast about how I'm fairly well known within my industry. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen by accident. Right. Um, I had a quarterly column in STC's Intercom Magazine for years and okay. usually would have an article published once or twice a year. So when people ask me, how did you land a column you know, in a magazine? I go, I emailed the, the editor and say, hey, I want to write a column on this. Nice. And she went, okay. Um, it, you know, uh, I'll give you another example. And this is where branding and positioning come through. And um, I've got a whole session I give on this. Um, by the way, all my almost all my slides are on the resources page of prospringstaffing.com. Okay. So if you're, your listeners want some more information on this, that's where they can find them. Um, back in the day when, we, when online help was in its infancy, Joe Walensky had the Win, Win Writers Conference, now Writers UA, yeah, I went and, to that back in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And there was a session coming up where it was um, Joe Walensky, Scott Pagan um, wow. was taking the WinHelp help system, dec uh, which is clearly written by the engineers because they just keep adding new pages to it. <laughs> they were decompiling the WinHelp and then recompiling it prettier to make it more usable. Hmm. And I went, hey, Joe, can I be on that panel? And he went, sure. Now, I mean, Joel and Scott Bogan literally wrote the books mm. on how to create online help back in the day. Right. I'm now on the same panel as two <laughs> of the leading experts in the field. But doing things like that, where offering to write a column in a magazine, offering to speak at conferences, you are establishing that you're an opinion leader. Now, it does have help to have something to say. True. God knows I'm a man of few opinions and I rarely state them. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, 
you, you know, yeah, that's it. So really what you're saying, what I'm hearing is, you know, we need to differentiate ourselves because someone in another country can do select file from this file menu or save yep. from the file menu. Someone could do that for a hell of a lot cheaper than any of us here in the States could do or even in some other countries. So really what you're saying is we need, and I've been saying this over and over again on this podcast, mm -hmm. need to get yourself out there. You need to blog or you need to be on social media and we need to stop thinking about do we have two periods or two spaces or yeah. one after a yeah. period and get out there and, and embrace these new technologies? Like, like you said, like YouTube, I mean, video has got to be huge. I can't imagine there are many millennials out there who are saying, boy, I can't wait to get that PDF of the new documentation. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I think, you know, we need to, and we, we need to stop having our head down and just, I'm just the writer kind of thing. Like you said, and I keep saying that we're not, it's like, you know, I, we're detectives, we're librarians, we're uh, silo breakers, you know, we're really writing is the least thing that I do every day, I think. Correct. And your listeners can't see that I was nodding my head. Yeah, right. Everything you just said. Um, and that's how you get away, by the way, away from being a commodity. You specialize in something that is valued, that you can be paid handsomely for, or for which you can be paid for your grammarians. Um, hmm. Uh, and, uh, I went to a conference once where on the name tag, it said, ask me about, and then oh, something cool. the person put in, I went, Oh, what a brilliant way to summarize that, is a cool that concept of personal branding, but it can't be ask me about bulleted lists. It's <laughs> right. Now, really. So ask me about content strategy. Ask me about improving the user experience. Ask me how I help generate revenue for my company. Ask how I help achieve, um, our business goals. Right. How Andrea you reduce the poor costs. Right. Does this beautifully. When she asked, what did she do for a living? She says, I solve business problems. Hmm. Not I'm a tech writer, not I'm a user experience engineer, all of which she is, but that's not how she sells what she does. She solves business problems, especially if there's a layoff. Who do you think they're going to lay off? The person solving all your problems? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Specialized in something, um, something that's needed and wanted. That's yeah. And, hopefully something that you're passionate about. Cause I think that I've found that, you know, I really like architecture, information architecture. I like the strategy side of things and I still mm -hmm. like writing and I still like interviewing people and talking to people, but I like that organizing the information part. And I think that's where, you know, I've created some of my value is that I'm taking, you know, I keep hearing one-stop shopping. We want one-stop shopping. We want a site mm -hmm. where everything is put together. And I think that's where we as tech com people can create value is, you know, instead of creating all this content, let's curate it and let's, Right. You know, every every corporation has tons and tons and tons of content out there and no one can find it. We can help with that, I think. And I think that's opportunities. Sharon Burton summarized this concept mm. beautifully um, where she went back and learned about content strategy. And, and so instead of just calling herself by a new name, she said she when she was laid off a few years ago, it made her stop and evaluate what does she like doing? And she said, mm. what was true when I started in this industry is just as true now. She loves it being at the intersection of people and technology. Yes. Yes. And she was and, our very first guest and said the same exact thing. Ha! See? Um, so uh, it's just as true today. But when companies – one of our jobs is to find out what companies need content-related-wise and then do that. Instead of going, uh, uh, I was in Orange County STC and one of the persons says, oh yeah, I need a job, but I don't do any of that fancy stuff. All I do is write. <laughs> oh boy, that's a good way to pitch yourself. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Going, you sure you want to hire me? <laughs> but, and that's part of the problem is that if you are not keeping up, you are going to be left behind. Right. right? Yeah. Um, well, I think as software, excuse me, as software developers get better at user experience design mm. and user experience designers get better. Software is literally getting easier to use right. and there's less to document or there's less need for a big manual or they just want to do a quick one sentence help topic on a phone somewhere. Right. So it's not like technical writing is going away. It's just morphing a little bit. Again, it's taking those same core competencies and doing it at the front end of the development and necessarily at the back end. Mm. Nice. Yeah. I mean, what is it? A phone comes with uh, what two pages of a manual or something, or yeah, go that. to go to web, you're right, or go to you know go to apple.com or whatever. Uh, you know, there's how many apps do you have have an online help component to it on your phone? You know, it's becoming yep. more intuitive, and you don't need hundreds and hundreds. Of course, also people 
have become more technology technologically savvy as well. It's not, you know, in the early days in the nineties or when I started, you know, people didn't know what a, a cursor was or a mouse yep. was, or, yeah. you know, these menu items, especially, you know, with windows was practically brand new, but you don't need that anymore. It's like, you don't need to tell eight people what the window menu does or what the help menu yep. does anymore. And the, new generations plural that are coming mm. up not only are they growing up with the technology but they they like doing um exploratory um you can't see me poking my finger here <laughs> right i see you poking um where they'll just what does this button do what does this button do mm. you know and it's a hunt and peck and trial and error um and you know where my oh my god my 84 year old landlord just wanted to launch a um anti-billboard campaign that they wanted to go to electronic billboards here in this county. And um, so she got a constant contact. Oh, account. boy. So guess who got to teach her how to use content content? Oh, no. Constant, yeah. Uh, so, and realize that someone of her generation needs a totally different help experience than that's somebody true. who's 22. Yeah, know? that's true. Um, and I'll tell you this. One, th- one thing that I was speaking with the the director of content management at uh, Amazon, and I was sharing the story with her. She goes, yeah, that makes sense. And they're actually doing a trial of... Now, you can't... It's really a, a computer literacy point, not an age point, so I don't want to be... Fair. Okay, fair. You know, but it's really hard to gauge somebody's uh, computer savviness, but you can make extrapolations um, by age, you know? And I just realized how much I talk with my hands. Um, <laughs> yes, I see you waving your, your, your Sharpie around. It's funny yeah. to see, but yes, it's, you know, it's, you're making your exclamation points. You're making your points with your, with your hands. So it's, uh, it's fun to watch. And this is, you know, we were just talking about why I don't do video. Maybe I should yeah. start doing video so people can see all these hand gestures, but then they'd have to see me. So I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the conference, Jack. Um, you know, I, I went to writers UA, um, back in the old days, back in the late nineties when my, when my company sponsored the trip. Um, and then I kind of got out of the conference field. I wasn't, you know, I was, didn't really see the value and I did everything that you said I did exactly wrong. I didn't network. I didn't go to conferences. I didn't get myself out there. Um, but that changed a couple of years ago. Um, I decided to get back into it and started to contribute back into the field. Um, and the first big conference I attended when I started going again was in 2013, and it was LavaCon. So it was in Portland, Oregon. Um, it was great. I will say, absolutely amazing conference. If you've never been, you really have to go. Um, the cities are great. This year it's in Portland and in Dublin, Ireland, which I would love to go to. Um, you know, the speakers that Jack gets are absolutely fantastic, top-of-the-line people. Um, and most of all, Jack puts on a great time. The food is just incomparable. It'll ruin you for every other conference. Um, I never knew about a living salad until I went to LavaCon. It was incredible. Um, Not to mention the fact that, again, Portland is a great beer town. And, uh, oh, God, we spent so much time drinking beer and having a good time. So um, how did running a huge conference come into your wheelhouse? Yep. Yep. Uh I was at the STC's Leadership Day in 1998, and the STC Society for Technical Communication right. uh, used to be broken out into eight regions, Region 7 being the Pacific Northwest and some countries in the Pacific Rim, and Region 8 that was the Southwest and some countries in the Pacific Rim. Okay. We were doing regional conferences back then, and someone observed that it's a shame that none of the people in the Pacific Rim chapters get to go to their own regional conference because they're always held in the mainland U.S., uh-huh. And someone kind of just glibly threw out there. We should have like a combined Region 7, Region 9 conference hall that's smack dab in the middle in Hawaii. And I raised my hand and went, I'll run that one. Wow. Um, so we did. We had it at the fall of 2000. Uh, our break even was about 140 people. 560 showed up. Huh. Um, it was just amazingly successful. And everyone kept going, God, I can't wait till the next one. I'm going, there is no next one. <laughs> I, know, I can't wait till next year. I'm going, hmm, there might be a, a, an opportunity here. So I started uh, the conference. We called it Lava Con because we were in Hawaii. Nice. Um, and um, plus, I didn't want to throw away two years of hard-won meeting planning experience. 
Um, mm. So, um, again, being open to new opportunities and going, hmm, mm. there's an opportunity here. Um, and at the time, there was no real conference focusing on technical writing management. How okay. do you manage projects? How do you manage teams? I went, that's my niche. Um, uh, okay. So that's how I got started in the conference business. And it was successful, and off we went. So then how did you decide to add a second conference? Was that just naturally, or was it organically, or was it something you had planned? My exhibitors asked me to. Oh, really? Yeah. They said, listen, there's, uh, can you please do a Lavacon Europe? I said, well, there's already conferences in Europe. And they said, yeah. But one of the things that were, were <sighs> Lavacon is different, is that I don't pitch it where come lo- here a learned professional lecture at you for an hour on what you should be doing. No. All of my speakers are practicing professionals. And okay. I position the conference as it's um, a gathering place for content professionals who are willing to share their best practices and lessons learned mm. and uh, both what worked and what didn't. So uh, so you get to hear what people are doing at Facebook and at Amazon and Google and, you know, uh, you know MasterCard, just really mm. interesting people. Um, yeah. So that's why I fell into the, the conference business. Yes. Uh, so how many get, I mean, how many presenters do you have at a typical conference and how do you go about getting those people? I know you put out a call for speakers, but mm-hmm. do you have like recurring people? Do you have recurring guests or <laughs> recurring speakers, I guess? I can't imagine doing conference without having Andrea Ames there. Okay. Um, or even Joe Gallner. I'm just really okay. just stellar people in our industry. If you don't follow these people, you should. Um, Gal- uh, Joe um, runs Gnostic Research G. Oh, yeah, no, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, if you haven't had him on your podcast, you need to, by the way. Uh, I think Joe and Andrea are both on my list. Uh, if your guys are listening, reach out to Man. me. <laughs> I'll introduce you. It's okay. Um, so, where was I? Where were we talking about? Uh, finding the speakers. So, yeah. Um, now, I'll tell you, I am in part of the content strategy group on Facebook. Okay. And somebody in India shared a link going, Oh, this to another speaker. And I said, Oh, this person's interesting. So I watched her video and went, Oh my God, she's a stellar speaker. Hmm. She's the head of user experience at Lego group in Denmark. Oh, wow. But they also do software. So she's in charge of the software user experience. Holy cow. And I went, Oh my God, are you available to speak at my conference? So a lot of times I just look at what other people, it's almost like word of mouth speaker finding. Okay. Um, um, Interesting. I also have a steering committee where I ask, okay, because since I and my speakers speak at not just my conference, but other conferences as well, hmm. they have seen other conferences. And, um, okay. and one of my speakers said, oh my God, I was just at a conference. You need to talk to this person. Um, He's based in Dublin. So I reached out to him, and he's going to speak at my conference now. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, I have to say, uh, one of the things that stuck with me when I went to LavaCon, um, Misty Weaver, who's a great content strategist, uh, great presenter, and I was just getting into the whole content strategy side of things, and I went to her session. She was saying, I love doing content inventories. And I thought she was absolutely crazy. I'm like, how could you enjoy spending your time in Excel and finding all these links and stuff like that? And then I started doing it, and I'm like, Oh my God, I love this. And I actually mentioned it in my, in my talk at Conduit two weeks ago. I'm like, I love doing content inventories and managers love that kind of stuff. You show them, this is what we have and this is all the you know stuff and what we need to do. And again, I think that's opportunity. I think that's adding value there as a tech com writer, especially something that you can present to management and say, this is what we have. This is what we can do with it kind of thing. You're not writing. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's so much more than what we do than writing. Um, by the way, governance is a really yes. big area that I think is neglected in most companies. Create content, create mm. content. Well, when do we retire this content? Where is it? Who's in charge of it? You know, people don't understand retiring forever? content. Yeah. yeah now, and yeah. I said, you know, cause I do my data and I go and I say, look, we've got these bottom things. They haven't been hit in a year. Let's get rid of it. And people are like, well, what if, what if someone needs this thing one, a year down the road? I'm like, we can always put it back. They don't understand that these things require maintenance. It's always adding, 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 and never taking the opportunity to clean up or get rid of stuff that's just going to clutter up your search or clutter up your content. There you go. That's right there. 
coloring up your search results. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay, Jack. Yeah, right there with you on that. Yeah, it's uh I see you nodding your head and shaking your shaking oh, your, you your sharpie yeah. again. Um <laughs> so one of the things that you mentioned in your keynote at Conduit earlier this month uh that really struck me was and kept with me was are you designing your content strategy for users or for people? And that I just bang, light went off. I mean, I get it. It just got it. It was real short and it just made sense. Um, you've also worked with the content strategy team at Facebook for business. Can you tell us all about that? I mean, that's got to be pretty exciting. And I hear they have a ton of content strategists. First of all, that users versus people uh, is a direct quote from Margot Merrill Fernandez, um, the manager content strategy at Facebook for business. Okay. So give credit where credit's due. Um, Margot was my keynote speaker at Lavacan Las Vegas last year. Okay. And I love learning things at my own conference. <laughs> and by the way, that's one of the reasons how you ask me how I choose speakers is that I'm kind of my own typical audience because I do content strategy for my own conference. Fair, um, right. And going, would I want to know about that? Mm. If I would want to know about that, maybe other people might want to know about that too. And, uh, so the thing that I learned, and um, and by the way, if you go to LavaCon's Facebook page, we have a link to Merrill's keynote. So okay. you can just watch this on video okay. yourself. Um, she, the aha moment I got out of this, that um, they showed a case study where there's a woman who had a really hard time finding plus-size clothing that made her feel sexy. Okay. Because they were all like moo-moos and, you know, so she said, wait a minute. So she started designing her own clothes. But then she said, wait a minute, if I'm having this trouble, other women are probably having that trouble too. So her Hmm. purpose was to help plus-size women feel sexier in sexy clothing. And it just so happens that the they were reaching customers through Facebook for business, creating ads and boosting posts and stuff. Okay. And I realized that for, as a business owner myself, that what I was doing is I was, I was selling dresses instead of no, why quote, Um, selling dresses in quotation marks. Right. Um, No, the whole purpose, her purpose was to make women feel sexy. She did that through selling clothing and she found customers through Facebook ads. So Hmm. if you, if you take that chain and run it backwards, at the other end of the chain, you've got content strategists at Facebook teaching people how to create ads so they can reach customers and then help the customers solve their customer problems. And when, ah, wow. why should you come to my conference? Well, you come to my conference so you can enhance your skills, find your tribe, make a difference. Hmm. And I was stopping two links short of that chain. So my purpose is to give my attendees the skills they need to help their customers. And the money follows, the cost saving follows, but you have to help first. So how do we as technical, technical communicators address that audience? Or how, do we, how do we flip that and say, okay, I've got a user who needs to do X with our software. Where, where does that mix in with what Facebook's doing with their content strategy? Notice you said user, not people. Uh, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Solve people's problems. Um, Andrea Ames, who I told you, she, you know, she says she solves business problems. I asked her, how do you find the problems to solve? She goes, I ask people, I get on my managers and my director's calendar once a quarter and said, what problems are you running into that my team can help fix? Hmm. Right. Talk to the salespeople, talk to the support people, talk to your customers going, what problems are you running into that I, well, my group can help fix? But you have to, you have to go find those problems. Um, and then everything that you do should either support your company's problems or, or visions or your customer's problems. Because really, no one's going to hire you because they have all this money sitting around going, oh, let's give it to Joe. Let's hear, yeah, right. hear Joe have some money. No, they hire Joe because they have a problem that they need someone to fix, whether that we, we have no documentation, we have a product coming out, we, you know, or we're getting complaints on social media, how hard it is to use this particular feature. It's, again, it's just, not sitting in a cubicle waiting for someone to give you work to do. It's much right, right, more yeah. active. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of, um, you know, my talk was 
uh, drive your docs with data at, at Conduit. And same thing. It's like, you know, I talked about social media and, you know, that's a great place to find out what your customers are asking, you know, because basically a lot of people use Twitter for support. I mean, look at what just happened with uh, United and Delta and, mm-hmm. you know, people are out there and people, their problems are out there. And it's, you know, also a way to find out what your competitors are doing. So you can't, you know, like you said, you can't just sit in a cube and wait for somebody to say, oh, we need this documentation kind of thing. I think, you know, like you said, you have to be proactive and you have to look outside of the cubicle, more or less. I'm nodding again. Yep. 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 So, well, I guess my question would be then, how can we as technical communicators leverage Facebook? Is it possible? I mean, I have you know, a, a Facebook page for my podcast that's been, you know, it's done pretty well. But I will say I have boosted some posts and not gotten anybody I wanted, um, which is very confusing. I also talked about that in my talk um, where I've done targeted advertising towards these people, uh, you know, technical communicators, men and women aged 18 to 64. And the people who liked my page were none of those things <laughs> other than 18 to 64. So, um I'm wondering, I guess, I don't know if you're an expert on that at all, but what can we as technical communicators get from Facebook other than promoting ourselves out there? Or what can we learn from Facebook, maybe? That's that's the better question right there. And um, it's, again, if you find what problems, if you find problems to solve, it may or not be related to Facebook, um, but... Um, I'll give you an example of me just hanging out at the content strategy news group on Facebook. I learn a lot. Um, that's another place you can write posts. Getting back to what you said about writing, creating a blog, have something worth saying, and then get it out there. Um, that. So Facebook is just a way of sharing that knowledge with people. And again, I'm talking with my hands. Hmm. So what you're not seeing is that my fingers are outspread like a high five. When this finger goes this way, you can put, you know, so you've got a blog post and an article and you can write something for a newsletter. And uh, it's your job. It's almost like the, the cobbler's son has no shoes. We're writers <laughs> and we're promoting everybody else but ourselves. Right. That, um, you know, how could you, it's like being a content strategist without a content strategy. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. What is my career path? How, what do I want to be known for? Why should people pay me more money? What value am I adding? Um, Cause really, if you're just committing your name in the name field, <laughs> that's a minimum wage job. You know, you may not deserve to get paid more, but <laughs> if you're helping advance the field of technical communication and advance the field um, of usability, well, then you're suddenly a valuable member of society that people would want your services and they would pay to get it. It's like right. art. Art is only expensive because it's perceived to be valuable. So you hmm. need to be perceived to be valuable right. to get people to want you and they show how much they want you by in this society by how many dollars they throw at you. Um, Interesting. Cool. So you talked about the Facebook content strategy page. You know, I know we're, we're experiencing information overload between LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and every place else that you need to be now. Where is the quality or where should we be going? Because I find a lot of the LinkedIn forums, there's a lot of yeah. signal to noise. Yep. Uh, you know, and I up until recently, I never really thought of Facebook for professional use. So can you talk about some of the resources that we have and that's available and that's good? First of all, I learned a new term from one of my speakers last week, filter failure. It's oh, nice. Not, it's not information overload. It's filter failure because of that information, what is valuable to you? Um, there are people that I have stopped following for that very same reason you mentioned. It's just the signal-to-noise ratio. For those of you who don't know, that's an electrical engineering term, hmm. meaning that if uh, you have a data line and there's noise, you know, the data gets lost. So okay. all you hear is the noise right. and you don't hear the data. Um, so we need to get better at filtering both what we're consuming and what we're publishing. Um, or tagging that information. See, this is where it comes back to content strategy. Uh, the way I explain 
content strategy for those who are not intimately familiar with it. Just take a company like Amway or Herbalife that has 450 products, each of which needs an ingredient list, a sales brochure, maybe a promotional video. Multiply that by the 27 languages they translate it into. Hmm. It would be absolutely impossible to keep all that content around in individual Microsoft Word files. So some clever person will take out of that content, put it into a database, and tag it. So it can be found, right. and it can be published in the country they want, in the language they want, in the format they want. The person who does that is a content strategist. Hmm. Right? So you got to get it in, you got to get it out, um, and translate it in the process. So, um, so those of us, or those of us, um, who are in the content field have to concentrate more on findability than we ever had before. Um, yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I know we had, you know, we did research on our internal teams a couple of years ago, and basically everyone said, all they do is search. They don't use a TOC. We've even had people say, you know, just give me like a Google search box and I'll, I'll be happy. And of course, we want to do a little bit more than that. We want to make it more visual and more attractive. But this is what people are looking for. They're not looking for, you know, a manual with covers or, in, you know, and an index or a table of contents. They just want to get in and get the hell out. So it's, uh, you know, so I think you're right. I think, well, how do we fix that filter then? How do we fix that filter failure? I Well, I'm going to add one more thing before I get back to filter failure for Fair. a second. That This is a true story. I was working at a company and needed to draw like an oil drum thing for a database. And again, okay. I'm speaking with my hands. Um, where I wanted the half of it to be shaded to show that it's round, you know. Um, I looked in the index, could not find shading. Um, hmm. I looked under shadow. I looked under... I ended up having to just start at the beginning of the online help system and walk through every page of the oh, help God. system until I found what I was looking for. Two guesses what they called it. A graduated fill. Uh. <laughs> Who calls it graduated <laughs> fill, right? So... Part of this is if you are going to have a synonym, I mean, uh, an index, you have to tag right. stuff with yeah. what is your user. See, I did. What would people call this? Yes. Not what would you call it, the engineer? What right. would people yes. call this? So they should have put shading, shadows, you know, as synonyms for that help topic. And if there was metadata right. back then, there is now that you could add as a content professional in your company take what I just said and advocate for adding a tag called synonyms. So would just go, okay, what else would somebody call this? Exactly. Yeah. And this is, I, I touched on this in my talk as well. Uh, we found that through our support tickets that people were misspelling the word Volcker, which is a, which in financial services is, is a, the Volcker rule. It's a big thing now. It's a hot topic. Um, and we found that if people were misspelling it, they wouldn't get any search results. And then they would have to file a ticket, which of course takes up support time back and forth, yada, yada, yada. So basically all we did was in our metadata, we stuck some keywords with the misspellings in and put them as hidden content at the bottom of the page. So that way, if you searched and you spelled it wrong, you got something back, no matter Correct. what you typed it in. And I just realized both of us used metadata without explaining <laughs> what that is. So it's just a way of storing additional information about the content. It's not in the content itself. It's just additional information about the content. Right. And something like that, uh, for example, is we're using, you know, like publishing date or uh, the author or the subject matter expert or, you know, keywords or stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's we we're a data shop, so it makes it really easy to have all that metadata right there for you and transform it. Um, but I think, you know, you could probably do that in just about anything. I mean, there's meta tags in HTML. Um, so all the more reason to get into either a structured authoring or an HTML based uh, system, you know, it could be. Um, what's the word? Markdown or anything like that. Yeah, I love it when you use the big sexy words. <laughs> That's what we do here on the podcast. <laughs> All those good sexy words that no one understands and everyone has a different definition for. Um, I think one of the last things I wanted to ask you, I wanted to go back real quickly, is one of the things I find difficult about thinking about content strategy, especially for businesses, it's a different thing for selling a product than it is for product documentation, I think. Um, so I always find myself, well, how do you pivot and kind of think, okay, my content, you know, our content strategy as tech writers, or we're trying to make a difference and trying to help people where content strategy for like content marketing is how do we get people to buy our stuff? 
And how do you how do you pivot? Can you you know how do you get your head around that and say how do you make that pivot? I guess to say we're help, from helping people to selling. I guess is it is there a big difference in what they're doing? <sighs> Lots to digest. It's Sorry, easier for marketers to demonstrate that the content they produce has a positive impact because people buy things and you can see people buying things and you generate revenue. Right. Okay. If you're on the back end, a little harder to quantify. True. But I say, why limit yourself to the quote unquote back end where you should be um, part of a, Andrea Ames does a session on a, how to create a content strategy ecosystem Okay. where this content doesn't just reside in some dark corner. It comes from someplace and it goes to someplace and it's part of a greater whole. So the question is really, where do you fit in that content strategy ecosystem? Um, and again, the closer you are to the front end of the sales mm. or product development, the more recognition you're going to get um, than if you're on the back end, just documenting into your name in the name field. So, um, because I bet you, remember we said solve people's problems, right? I'm pretty sure that nobody's really having trouble entering your name in the name field, right? Um, Sharon Burton loves the, uh, she goes, we're, I'm in Excel. All I want to know is how do I add a row of numbers? Not why should I add numbers? <laughs> Not, you know, why is it good to add numbers? All I want to know is how do I add these row of numbers? So just get in, get out, get done. Boom. Right. Um, and that's the way I say, I always sell it is people aren't coming to online help or they're not reading your documentation because they've got nothing better to do. They're coming right. there because something's not working or they have a problem or they need an answer. All right. So it's kind of a related to what you asked about, but it's important. So I'm going to mention it where I have just recently learned about the concept of customer success. And hmm. if you wait until the customer has a problem and then they, where they contact you, they're already upset. Right. Yeah, right. You know, so what companies are doing, like the constant contact thing, when we signed up my landlord as a, a user, again, customer, customer, they picked up the phone and called her. Let me walk you through how to use this product. Oh, how cool. So by running people through training at the beginning of the thing going here, let me help you with this. Here's how to use our product teach them how to use it before they have a problem, right? So it's <laughs> right, much right. more proactive. Um, and um, um, Ari um, from MindTouch um, is doing a whole session on that. Um, if you just Google search the concept of um, uh, customer success and what MindTouch does, which I found interesting, although there are many vendors are doing this, they take that instead of doing a 200-pound PDF manual, breaking it down in individual topics that are accessible one at a time. Mm. Um, and it's findable and searchable. And uh, you can update that one topic without republishing this whole PDF again, that the content that we are publishing is getting more granular, mm. you know, smaller bite-sized pieces. Again, talking with my hands. <laughs> um, uh, smaller bite-sized pieces that you can update it faster and easier and people can consume it faster on smaller devices and, and stuff. And I really believe that that's where we as an industry need to go. Um, so, well, this goes back to something we were talking about earlier, um, you know, with iPads and everything and apps, they're not getting documentation. Are you, it sounds like it's cheaper for constant contact to have a person call someone who just signed up instead of having a, huge documentation set or a PDF um, or even an online help system. Does that, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's almost hard to reconcile because you're saying, you know, it's customer success, but usually, I mean, it used to be customer success became with a huge manual. Now it's someone calling you and saying, Hey, let me walk you through this. It's not one or the other. I think okay. it's both. You still need, there are people who want to um, self serve when it comes to online it's not even online help. It's just like, okay, how do I do this? Right. You know, how do I you have to stop thinking about help as something that's other than the World Wide Web or other than content that's else that's out there. Also, keep in mind, why are you forcing me to go somewhere mm, to right. learn how to do something? Where why not embed 
the help right in the software user interface, right? Um, you know, or give that search box. Just let me type in the thing. How do I add a row of numbers? Um, and then it comes up and it shows you right there. Um, so again, we're moving away from this model where information is over there somewhere mm. in a user manual and you send them over there. No, give them the content where they need it. This goes back Not, to kind of don't make me think, right? With Paul yeah. Krug's book. Yep. And every page is page one. Yes. I, yes. I, I endorse Mark Baker's book frequently. Uh, I, you know, I, he likes to talk, but that book is fantastic and it really yeah. confirmed a lot for me. All right, Jack, I think the last thing I wanted to ask you, I know um, you're based in Long Beach, California. Um, I'm a huge IndyCar fan. So I've been to the Indy, uh, Long Beach IndyCar Grand Prix twice in, in past years. Um, but it sounded like you were traveling. So what, if, I guess as a resident of Long Beach, what is that like for you? One, trying to find parking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and two, you can hear those cars. Yeah. From miles, miles away. And my office is one block from the oh my goodness the, the route. So, yeah, for a week or two, you know, we get some really loud cars. But um, and, but you can go down to the edge of the street and watch them race. Nice. It's quite, it's quite um, interesting. Well, I guess you're, um, you're, you're a morning person, so I guess it doesn't wake you up, the sound of cars, because I know they always oh, yeah, start no. really early in the morning. Now, I'm like up at five at the gym by six, and at the office by seven. Yeah, oh, my goodness. I, um, because one, customers on the east coast of the U.S., but now that I'm in Europe, oh, right. I need to get in early enough to reach people in Europe because by the time I get to work, they're getting ready to go home. So, so do you ever sleep? Uh, every other week. Oh, for good. A couple hours. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's Whether good. I want to or not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's funny. All right, Jack. Um, thanks again so much for your insight. Thanks for coming on. It's been a, a great conversation, I think. Um, can you let people know where we can find you and how we can contact you? Sure. Uh, first of all, I discovered, have you heard the term ego surfing? When you Google your Google own side. name. Yeah. yeah. So I recently Google searched my own name and came up with thousands of hits. It's really hard to <laughs> not reach, find me. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Jack at lavacon.org okay. is my email address. Um, uh, both the ProSpring and the LavaCon websites have contact information for me as well. And then, like you said, you can follow me on Twitter, Jack Malasani. Um, and at Lavacon. Um, so that's yeah. pro, pro string, pro spring staffing.com and Lavacon.org. Correct. Cool. Then hopefully yeah. we'll see some of you um, at one of the Lavacon conferences. I guarantee you, if nothing else, you will eat well. Yes. Well, no, two things. I guarantee you will learn something and you'll be energized and also that you'll eat really well, which may be part of the reason why you're energized. <laughs> yep. I don't do a lot of sugary, snacky, high carb stuff right yeah like uh yeah yeah it was good um, anyways, but, yeah it was interesting to hear too that you said that you have time to listen to people at your conferences i would have assumed that you were really busy and bouncing around but that's cool that you get the time to uh to take a breather i guess uh a couple of years ago i realized i can't do this alone we've grown too okay far Fair. so i now have a staff that runs things for me and they literally uh, okay. will kick me out of the registration booth and go get out of here you're in our way <laughs> Yes, ma'am. That's awesome. Well, Jack, thanks again for your insight. Um, it was a great conversation. Uh, thank you for your time. I'm, you know, we uh, had about a bouncing back and forth, but I'm glad we finally got together and got to talk. Thank you for having me. Great. So you can find me on Twitter at Ed Marsh uh, and also, of course, at edmarsh.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and the Google Play Music Store. Um, if there's any place else you want to find us, please let us know. Uh, we would really appreciate it if you wrote a review on iTunes uh, to get people out there. I know there's a, you know, we're, our numbers are increasing and we just hit over 5,000 downloads last week. So thanks also for listening. Uh, but reviews go a long way. So if you're in iTunes or you're someplace where you're subscribing, um, please write us a review and let us know how we're doing and let everyone know how we're doing. Uh, if you're on Android, you can go to edmarsh.com slash podcast and subscribe using your podcasting client. Mine is Beyond Pod. Uh, finally, um, as I mentioned, my slides from the STC Philadelphia Conduit Conference are available on slideshare.net. Uh, this year, I spoke about driving your content with data, um, as I mentioned over and over again. Um, but it was something I really enjoyed, I was really passionate about, and um, it seemed like it went well despite my my early morning nerves. Um, so I was, uh, you know, it was it seemed like people got something out of my session, which is all I can ask for.
And when you mentioned SlideShare, all the presentations from all the LavaCons for the past X number of years are all on SlideShare as well. So just look for the hashtag LavaCon. Nice. And, there you go. Um, yeah. And I think uh, if you want the slides from Conduit, I think the hashtag was Conduit17. So you can search for that. You should be able to find mine and all the other presentations. And there were some really good ones this year. It was a really diverse conference. Uh, it's always a great experience. It's really intimate. Uh, and you get to meet a lot of great people like Jack or Alan Hauser or um, Liz Poland, who's the new STC president, was there. Our outgoing or STC CEO, sorry. Our outgoing president, Adrian Hunt, was also there, uh, Bernard. So really, uh, if you get there next year, I think it's April 7th, 2018, uh, stcpmc.org. Uh, would love to see you there, uh, and I'm sure you will have a great time and learn a lot. So again, thanks for listening. Jack, thanks for your time. Everyone, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon.